Hi everybody and welcome to this, the ARC360 podcast, brought to you in association with corporate partners BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SNG Response and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists, Indasa, Prasco UK and the Innovation Group. I hope everybody's well. Welcome to this, the ARC360 podcast, where this week we catch up with Louise Mason Trust, operations manager at Accident Express, a two-site family business based in the Midlands. Louise talks to us about how growing up in and around the business ultimately led to her joining the body shop full-time via perhaps an alternative route. During the interview, Louise references millennials and their impact on the business world and discusses innovation and how Accident Express is renowned for trying new things. The latest being the introduction of an autonomous management style. She also declares just how far advanced the industry now is, and with that comes a great need for in-depth knowledge, as well as providing an insight into how she feels things might change in the coming years. Louise also mentions her love of EVs, although is yet to make the transition, declares her psychologist alter ego, and remarks on why autonomous vehicles might just not be for her yet. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, so welcome along. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And here we are talking to Louise Mason Druss today. Hi, Louise. How's it going? Hi, Mark. It's okay. Thank you. How about you? I am very well, thank you. And we catch you on a, a Monday afternoon. So I uh, appreciate your time and thank you very much for uh, coming and joining us on one of the podcasts today. So first and foremost, tell us a little bit about yourself. The, the sort of surname may be quite familiar in the industry, but tell us more about you, your career path to date and how you've landed up as operations manager at uh, Accident Express. I have a husband. We've been together for 17 years and we have two kids, so they're 11 and 2. My career path to date, it took a little bit of a turn, I'm not going to lie. I started working for the company back when it was early teens and I always wanted to earn some more money or earn some money so that I could go to the cinema or maybe go on a shopping trip with some friends. So I used to clean on a Saturday morning at the at the Birmingham site including the lads toilet oh lucky lucky thing you no I know Wayne Amory have always been so certain that anything that I want I have to work for so they really really threw it in there with the toilets on that one I'm not gonna lie Uh, but it was great it gave me it gave me my own independence uh, a flavor of earning money myself from working hard it sort of then continued to be school holidays I would go into the office, I'd sort of help out with some filing, admin, photocopying, start to self-learn some of the accounts and management software. I then went to college and I had a, a gap year to earn some more money, so I worked within the business then again. Because I wanted to go to Dubai before I actually started going to uni, so of course I needed money for that, right? I began to build a, a, a much better image at that point, I'd say, before it was quite isolated to to the school holiday periods, whereas this was a full block of time. So I gained a lot of experience and and more about the the actual running of the business at that point. Obviously, I've always been in and around the business anyway. It's always been a huge part of me. There's something really comforting about the smell of thinners. (laughs) You really are in this industry, aren't you? And (laughs) the smell of pain and filler. I think from having Wayne working in this industry, you know, he was putting long hours right at the beginning to to start Accident Express. 
think we all agree is an exceptionally both both of them are exceptionally hard workers he used to come home and he used to have that smell so for me it's almost as though walking into a body shop is like walking into home it sounds cheesy as hell right it reminds me of home this will sort of touch back on you'll understand why I probably said that because after Dubai I went to university I studied architecture went through architecture school and experienced what it was like to work within that industry and just you know really quickly experienced that the atmosphere was was just not the same and I think from growing up in such a young age within the motor trade I took it for granted in thinking that every industry had this same type of atmosphere, this same culture. And I just realised that, you know what, this makes me happy. This this is what I want to do. So it was a, it was a very conscious decision that was made to, to be at Accident Express. So that is how I am here. And since that point, I've just moved from one area to another growing skills, um, using the skills that, I do, that I'd learned at university and seeing how I can implement that here. And yeah, this is where I am today. Here I am. <laughs> I love that story. And I'm sure that resonates with many people in the industry. There's nothing like the body shop scent, should we call it? And I, we, could, we could trademark that and put something out there at Christmas. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Every time you walk into a body shop, yeah, there is that smell of the kind of thinners and you think, ah, oh, yeah, this is, this is it. And I'm sure that's the same for many people. And, and of course, a family business, you know, you were kind of destined for it, perhaps. Uh, in a, in I a... fought against it all the way, <laughs> didn't I? I fought, but, uh, but yeah, it didn't quite work out. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Good on you. So how long have you been in the business now, full-time? Wow, seven years, full-time. So whilst I was at university, um, it wasn't a breakaway from the business completely. I needed to earn money whilst I was at university course my son's 11 so I was at uni married with a child not a normal situation for a 20 21 year old to be in so I worked in a counselor it involved some trips from rugby to Nottingham to Birmingham to go to sides then to come home and a lot of online online working with the accounting software tell us a little bit more then about the kind of day-to-day job as it is now what does it involve obviously your operations manager and what might it you know is there such a thing as a typical day probably not in the last 12 months but but what might that look like the best sort of days are the non-typical days every day is different so much variety especially with how we operate i think would be really key so we use the terminology of operations manager or in other places, maybe operations director, et cetera, or business development. Um, but I hate titles. Anybody that actually knows me, I bloody well hate it with a passion. I just think you do what you do. You don't need to give a tag to it, you don't need a title. But it does help people understand where you sit and obviously what operations you do do um, or whether you you're the person to speak to for a particular subject. So I understand the the importance of them as well. Um, But one of the great things with it being a family business um, and here is we offer a very multidisciplinary approach. Whilst my job title is operations manager, it's not quite as simple as that. So from a day-to-day perspective, fundamentally, when we talk about operations, so it's about managing uh, labour, it's about managing the stats, the quality, 
uh, running an efficient operation. So those are the, the types of information that I review on a rotated basis, whether that be daily for something specific or weekly for something else. And management reporting, so from everything that I've, I've learned over the years, the continuous development of the processes and the procedures that are in place. So looking at what, what could be improved, what is turned out to be an inefficient use of time, what technology is now available that we can sort of integrate that will aid in, in creating a more uh, efficient operation overall. Supporting the team, that's a huge, huge one. With it being a family business, we've always had that very positive culture of creating a good work environment where we all support like I say, mostly identifying further improvement. So that's more of the day-to-day -day thing. That, that's not what's currently going on still. We, we start to then move into things that we're sort of working on at the moment. One of the big things for me, and you remember the, uh, the webinar that we was, we was on, and we talked about the stereotypes of, of generations. Is an autonomous management style. No one likes to be told what to do. Managers tell people what to do. Millennials don't like managers. Millennials hate middle management. So the whole reason why we have management structures is to make sure everybody's doing what they need to do for the, the company to prosper, for um, our customers and clients to be, be happy with the level of service that they're receiving and obviously to make double checks on everything. So what if we can really invest in our team where they don't need to be told what to do and we integrate technology where it creates a flow and everybody operates with such autonomy that there's never a need for anybody to tell them what to do because it's either being done or done, right? So people would then start to panic and go, manager less, it sounds like it's absolutely chaotic, it's crazy. Everybody must be loving life, knocking off at three o'clock. You know, that's what happens if you don't put in the groundwork, if you don't put in the conditioning. It's the utopia for me. We are running a, I don't like to use the word experiment. Whilst it is probably the correct word because it's a very controlled experiment, there are apparatus, checklists that have already taken place. People have the equipment to do this. We've put the groundwork in. So I suppose experiment from that sense is probably the right word to use. A Birmingham, they don't have a manager, a on-site manager. A member of our senior management is there. Whilst I talk about not having managers or middle managers, there is still a support structure. There is still a hierarchy. We need that. It seems, it seems quite counterintuitive to say a management style, I suppose, because it's, it's um, it aids in trying to get everybody to really take accountability and responsibility of their, of their own actions. We've been working closely with uh, Julie Ely to, to help deliver our visions. Some of the results that we've been seeing, I say some, most of the results we've been seeing have been absolutely amazing. I knew it was going to be a, a good thing. I didn't think it would be this good. <laughs> and it been in the making for a year and a half. So, of course, things go wrong. They, they're going to always go wrong. But we have systems in place to catch that problem as fast as we possibly can and create the method of how we stop that from ever happening again, 
how does that work? We get the interaction from every member of the, of the team to sort of see. One of the biggest problems notoriously with collaboration is the length of time that it takes. So it was all about setting up a structure on how we have the key people making the decisions that they're technically qualified to make in that sense. So having that sort of structure structure there. So that's something that I'm working on at the moment. It's it's working really well. It certainly fits with the ethos of um of yourselves there accident express because i know over the years you guys have kind of innovated pioneered tried tested all sorts of different ways of working different technologies uh, and you know so it's so it's it's fantastic that you're continuing to push those boundaries and, and rightfully so because you know if you don't nothing's ever going to change so so good on you for, for giving it a go and it's fantastic to hear that it's you know the results are proving positive at, at this moment in time so long may that continue so uh you should be very proud. So, so we've already said kind of how innovative the, the family business is, and you've obviously touched a bit upon upon Wayne himself, who will be known amongst industry peers. But explain a bit more about the dynamic of working in the business. You obviously came into it at an early age, a kind of part time helping out, etc. As you've obviously got into more of a senior role, how has it, you know, has that dynamic changed? Is it difficult working with each other as a, in a family business? Have you got, you've obviously, you know, what you're doing with this sort of autonomy workloads and things you've obviously got a great culture there amongst the whole team you ready for another cheesy moment I love spending every day with Wayne and Marie people will think how is that physically possible so I actually being a, a married 28 year old with an eight-year-old son I still lived with my parents and you know that was it was only more recently 28 29 that I we bought our first home so I'd never really known any different. I think with the lower, with the smaller age gap between me and my parents to start with means that we're probably more like friends as opposed to parents. So it's great. But yeah, we used to have a family meeting every uh, every Friday where we'd have takeout and we'd discuss what had happened in the week, what our plans were for next week. And then like your meeting with Wayne, would uh, go off in a thousand different directions. It's those conversations where one statement can create that light bulb moment where it was there all along. That idea that's amazing, let's let's do that. So it's those those sort of conversations that lead to the organic growth of some of the some of the things that we then try out and, and see how they operate in the real world scenario. Outside of the fireworks that must be exploding, imploding in Wayne in Wayne's head at any given moment in time. Those kind of conversations that you refer to, I mean that they're the thing that certainly a lot of people are now saying is missed within a work environment as everyone is socially distanced working from home. It's those a uh, coffee station you know, conversations where you haven't arranged to meet anyone, but lo and behold, you just get chatting and all of a sudden those ideas stem. So I think that is something that people are very aware of at the moment that perhaps is um, is missing. Fingers crossed we're all going in the right direction at the moment. With that, we're just going to take a, a little break. So uh, I'm sure Louise has stirred up the innovative genes in people's heads. So uh, take, your, take your 15 minute break, go and see what you can think of. We'll be back very shortly. So we're at the midway point and a huge thank you once again to our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as to our partners Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists, Indasa, Prasco UK and the Innovation Group. 
enjoy the second half of the podcast. Okay, welcome back, everybody. I hope uh, there's been uh, some interesting thoughts that have been generated through the conversation we've been having here with uh, Louise from Accident Express. And recent events have impacted on us uh, in various different ways. But from a work capacity, um, how have things kind of been with yourself, Louise? What have been the challenges, opportunities, and you know what positives uh, will or has Accident Express taken away from from all of this? I think the first thing that I, I really began to notice it was always there, but it just it just almost stuck out like a sore thumb at that that initial point of view. Was how the team just just came together. It, it was together already, but you could see how strong the bonds were when things were outside of their control you know with covid it was something that none of us had ever experienced before and you you just seem just seen this level of almost super glued together that they supported they were aligned and it was like a whole new level of appreciation of what it was to be to be part of the accident express team so that was one of the first observations that i'd made it was very lovely to see and then communication we'd had microsoft office 365 for a long time prior to the pandemic we used it in the in the office environment between accounts and holding documents but how great was it that we we already had this infrastructure there so let's roll this out let's give an account to every single member of the team there's some of our team members who were having to homeschool that didn't have microsoft office didn't have word didn't have anything like that what also came with it was was teams that ability to keep a constant check-in on, on their, how they were coping, their well-being, whilst members of the team were on furlough. Um, at one point, we, we never closed either of the businesses, but we did furlough at one point, a large proportion, because one of the benefits of Action Express and how our model is promotes agility and it's very dynamic and we can adjust very quick to a plus or minus you know 25% swing of, of capacity um so we're really agile and being able to to work with what we've got at that moment in time it's, we use the time actually just to sort of elaborate more on teams it's not just as simple as a video call between everybody we we had a bit of fun with it at one point we were doing work quizzes so we'd all sign in and we'd do our quizzes and more interestingly enough the one thing that really resonates is the more we we work on collaboration, teamwork. We experience that people actually want to know more. They don't want to just do their job or their particular area of expertise. And a lot of the time when you, you receive the resistance from in a traditional setting, a manager asking to do something from a, a very authoritarian authoritative sort of standpoint is you are met with resistance that goes back down to the psychology of people not liking being told what to do but also they don't always know why those decisions have been made in the first place so their opinions are very skewed on their own personal beliefs and experiences within their job role we know we know that people want to be more involved they want to know more about the inner workings of, of accident express and we provide that information we like our team to be involved and know what is going on in a greater world in a greater context because it helps in them 
know why those decisions are being made. If you look at it isolated, it might not make sense. But uh, actually, from this information that we were all discussing the other week, now that makes absolute perfect sense. Then you no longer have any term, any remote fraction of friction. You, you're now all heading in that same direction. Um, so going back onto the point of, of how we, the recent events have, have impacted work life, well, we use the time also to work on presentations. So um, a technician who was on furlough would put together um, a slide of a presentation in his area or in something he was interested about. And the same for other technicians. And that would then get collated and they would present that to the, to the wider team. So it was really, really interesting to start getting all those ideas um, from, from everybody and seeing the level of interaction that was wanted. It, it needs to be embraced. It's about empowering, empowering the team so that we can you know, all work towards the, the final goal, which is obviously a, a great company with a great atmosphere, with great customer service and um integrating technology well it sounds great i mean the fact that you you obviously had that culture there in the first place that when things did happen and, and you had to flick the switch pretty quickly you know credit to you guys because that was already instilled and already in place i suppose what's really interesting is the more you discovered about people i.e that wanting to be involved means the more information you can share and the, and the more information you share probably the more buy-in there is to the business the more ownership individuals take uh, and so it goes on. So, yeah, I mean, hats off to you for, for making that move and recognising that because, um, you know, that's vitally important, especially as you start to, you know, reintegrate or, or integrate new systems and thinking into the business. So in terms of the wider industry, so how does it look from your perspective? We, we see it from many different angles and, and people tell us their, their views and things. But how specifically does it look from you, from your angle right now and, you know, into the future? Where to start? I suppose from an isolated point of view, as in me individually, would be amazing. Um, I love going onto LinkedIn and seeing the developments and the integrations of the technology that you know all of all of the repair shops are doing across across the UK. I think I think genuinely it's just amazing. Uh, the adaptation and how the industry is almost in it's beginning a transformation should we go really cheesy again and go from a caterpillar into a butterfly the industry is still from a public point of view quite scarred from repairs of the past it has a negative stigma i personally look at every single technician within these four walls and know and in actual fact any technician that is working on vehicles um, across the industry are amazing professionals that are highly skilled they have so much knowledge and sometimes I, I believe that the wider population don't quite give kudos credit to to actually how how much of a professional element and responsibility that they have in actual fact it's not just about uh, is it banging metal hitting metal anymore it's so much more to it so I suppose it's really good to see that. I think what's going to be important moving forward is, is about the agility and the willingness to incorporate change into your businesses. 
to deliver the great end result. I think agility is that really key word for me um, and being dynamic. One of the things that I've said previously is we're an aftermarket industry in the sense that it's the services that we provide following an accident. Every, every line that starts is always reactive. So we don't we don't get the premonition that someone's going to have an accident. We can obviously make those guesses and we can predict based on previous years, etc. Um, and that's why agility is so important, especially when we start to witness these changes of behaviours of the general public. Our previous figures no longer stand ground anymore. They're, they're not as useful as what they were in previous years. That means we have to be ready to change and change fast in order to accommodate what we're currently seeing. So trying to limit limit how long it takes to, to change into what is required, what the industry and our customers need. I'm still sort of looking at the industry from the future. I'm a huge electric vehicle fan. It is the, um, it is the biggest hypocritical statement. I love electric cars. I would have an electric car. I've just bought a bloody house. So I can't afford an electric car. Or at least the size of an electric car that I'd need. Something for the future. I always look and go, okay, so I've just pulled up next to this um, I-Pace. I'm not going to go into the overtaking lane because I don't stand a chance against it. Anyways, lure you in with a full sense of security by really going slow and then put their foot down and they're gone. But talking about electric cars, we have uh, electric e-golfs here as courtesy vehicles. I had the pleasure of driving one. They're bloody amazing. It's going to be about how, how electric vehicles start to enter in. You know, repairing electric vehicles is nothing new. We've been doing it for how long now? We had the Toyota Prius, how many, how many years ago? Can you remember the, the whole fiasco about what do we do with this? It happens all the time, doesn't it? ADAS, more recent one, um, everybody starts panicking. But the point, the point in what I'm trying to say is that the more knowledge you, experience, you, you gain in these areas, the more you feel comfortable with knowing how to do it. And I think that's what's going to be important. It's about really understanding uh, ADAS. When you go on to Thatcham and you have the, you have the note to say this vehicle may be fitted with ADAS, may have, may have ADAS features. You know, we, we want to know that that car's got ADAS features. We don't want to may, we want to, we want to know. It's about having a deeper understanding of, of what of what ADAS is and not just using like the buzzwords of you know, LIDAR, radar, but to physically develop that understanding, that deeper understanding of what that technology actually does, how does it do it, figuring out more in regards to the, the diagnostics and the calibration. I suppose it's it's not just about following a list of instructions of do this, do this, do this, do this. It's about getting that deeper understanding. I think that's where I'm trying to go with it, at least. Probably gone way off topic there. But What do you think is going to be the greatest influence on the sector in the coming years? Or do you think we are kind of just steadily adapting to everything as it comes anyway, as we have done? Yeah, I think so. On the same token, it's going to be about understanding what what our new demographic looks like as every year goes on a younger generation comes comes up and we have to start looking at what what our seven eight nine to 15 year olds are 
are currently being taught, where where do their morals lie? What are their ethics? Um, what do they have strong beliefs on? They're our emerging market. Are they going to drive a car? Are they going to own a car? I think that there's absolutely loads of questions, and it's really about trying to trying to gain good analysis of, of what's going on in the future to, to then be able to meet those needs. One of the things is, is obviously digitalizing the, the journey, and that's a given is then also how you integrate technology in order to to get that end goal i suppose but the changes in the mobility survey what is mobility to people um and how how's covid changed that as well right because before it was the uptake of electric vehicles has really taken off people are really starting to to warm to the idea of an electric vehicle We're starting to see like the, the range and anxiety maybe be eased in a lot of people I personally like to drive with uh, zero miles of fuel anyway. I find it adds a little bit of danger to my day. Greatest influence would be would be the market. It's going to be how it's going to change uh, impacts in mobility. We're, we're looking at travel anxieties on public travel. So what does that mean? Are we going to see uh, more private vehicles joining? Are we going to see from the new rules or regulations in regards to electric vehicles um are we going to see people trying to hold on to their older cars more are we going to see the rise in uh, used car sales as opposed to new car sales um you know even then when we start to consider i was looking at some research the other day it doesn't take a genius to figure out that there's going to be a lot more staycations. Does that mean there's going to be more cars on the road because of public travel anxieties? It starts to all sort of add up. What if after COVID, everybody has a taste of what it is to have flexibility? Because that's what we've had in a very weird way. We've had flexibility. It's gone from this very old hat. You go to work between these set times. You... You drive to work in rush hour because guess what? That's when everybody else is traveling. And you drive home in rush hour because guess what? That's when everybody else is traveling. So now being forced into this, this amazing opportunity of change where we can completely flip on its head how we work and when we work and what does a normal day look like? Well, who says that there has to be a normal day? What if after COVID, organisations, I know of one from a friend of mine, from having their members of the team working from home, it's increased productivity and efficiency in a really twisted fate uh, to have been made redundant because all the others are doing more work than what they've ever done, so they don't need to. It's a really twisted way on what's actually happened. And then people enjoying working from home. Is that something that I could maybe say? Probably not five days a week, but will that then aid in the flexibility of having a, a two-day two day working from home, three days in the office or vice versa, just to give that stick? But this is something that COVID's created. Is It's had us all experience what it could be like from a more long-standing point of view. And how does that affect our roads? How does that affect our mobility? Is a car then less based on necessity of commuting, but more of a choice? Do we start to see carpooling? No one single person owns a vehicle. 
it's spread over so many people and, and they share it. Obviously, you could go back to the public travel anxieties, but I suppose if you create some sort of bubble in, in who you share that car with, it's not just any any old person walking up to it and getting in. And how does that how does that then look from an insurance point of view? Risk models, do they have to change to incorporate that? I think that there's so many opportunities to tailor in your services to meet the emerging market that are, are going to be are going to be emerging, I suppose. <laughs> there's no other way. There's been a change in behaviour. There is going to be a change in requirements. And I think the sooner that everybody can begin to have their take on what that change looks like and developing and changing their current service offering to meet that amazing absolutely amazing our younger generations are generally more more in tune with we've we've gone through that period haven't we where you have the the cheap replacement you know buy cheap buy twice it breaks you just buy a new one I, I don't think it's as simple as that with with the younger generations I think it's almost doing a full circle we find these things tend to going loops anyway um, my son doesn't throw bloody anything away I think he's a hoarder <laughs> uh, but he much prefers to fix things he loves taking things apart and fixing them and this is an 11 year old boy he is going to be an adult at some point and how do they think so are we going to start seeing the the willingness of customers uh policyholders wanting to adopt the use of green parts and the benefits that they hold more from an environmental perspective. I think I think that holds holds credit. I think that could be the case, just from an environmental perspective. And then we look at for me, I have I have this dream where I want I want a body shop to be carbon negative. It's it's a utopia. If you don't aim ever for the utopia, you end up with a dystopia because you never got anything. You're not ever trying to push yourself a little bit further. For me, it's about this super, super clean workshop porn. We all can identify with what workshop porn looks like. But, you know, with the, the generation of its own electricity, going back to the point, um, its generation of its own electricity to fulfil the operations that it needs to do at that moment in time, working on electric vehicles in a fast, efficient way with, with the integration of technology from every single every single area, from maybe like hollow lenses that, um, that you're wearing to actually view the the diagrams, the information, the methods on that particular car, having you know really in-depth knowledge on, on certain types of vehicles, having fleets of electric cars. It sounds really strange, but that is an ultimate utopia for me. Um, but slightly going back on where I were before we massively went off on a tangent, um, <laughs> would be also the terminology of, of a family car for me, growing up, a family car was, you know, my mum and dad's car, and the kids were in the back, and we had a decent boot space because it's practical, and parents are boring. You know, it wasn't about speed or anything, it was about sturdiness and safety. And, and that's, I suppose, where, what the definition of a family car is. But what if that definition starts to morph into, I suppose, a little bit similar to the carpooling arrangement that I've mentioned just a moment ago where a family car is actually where every member of the family has access to it and uses it at any given time going back to how does that look from perspectives 
and that sort of stuff. So yeah, sorry, I completely went away and ran with that question. You know, everyone's looking at it slightly differently. Everyone's trying to sort of second guess where it may end up. And, you know, all these things arguably were kind of on their way anyway. But what has this past 12 months, the impact of the pandemic done, accelerated, is going to change. And again, it will be society, the societal thing that decides all of this. And we all, you know, look out the window now, my personal car, I look at it, it's moved, you know, a handful of times in the last year. And you think, do I really need that? But of course... Yes, I probably do, because once we start to move it again, there will be those two days a week where I need to go out. So it, it's different for everyone right now. So amazing stuff. Thank you so much for your time today. Now, we are going to go into the quick fire question round. OK, here we go. <laughs> Louise, this is you. What one thing might not many people know about you? Lack of confidence. OK. Because I'm good at faking it. <laughs> Fake it to make it. Something like that. What would your alter ego be doing as a career right now? psychiatrist a psychiatrist okay okay best bit of business advice you've ever heard seen or received choose your battles oh nice okay and this one this one divides a nation self-driving vehicles for you yes or no yes and no can i say yes and no you, you're allowed to you're allowed to there's reasons there's reasons not anti self-driving cars amazing Think of the possibility of the lives it could potentially save. Amazing. I love driving. <laughs> now that's very interesting, especially as we've been down the millennial road a few times. Mm -hmm. The perception because is millennials may not enjoy driving so much, but arguably. And again, though, I mean, um, I'm probably in a small area where because I've grew up around cars. I've, um, and uh, to be honest, it's I'm really huge on on psychology and that's where the psychiatrist comes in I do a lot of background reading on, on understanding why people make the decisions that they do I read, I've been reading several books at the moment that's really thought-provoking that helps with what what I do here as well but driving it's a great transitional time an amazing reflection time and you know that motorway drive to Birmingham from rugby for me is where I structure I reflect on what's happened. I think about what is going to happen. It, it's I can't replace it in any way, shape, or form. I stick I stick on Ludovico and Audi. I am absolutely a huge fan of him, um, and it just gets me into the zone. And I love driving. The biggest problem for me is with all with autonomous with self driving vehicles, more specifically because obviously you have the different levels. But there's so much emphasis on the destination. And not on the journey. Oh, we are going deep now, aren't we? Louise, this really? is for another podcast. This is for another <laughs> podcast. This was the quick fire question round right here. I'm coming back to you on those deep thoughts another time. <laughs> I look forward to it. Make sure we you clear the whole day. And so there we have it. Huge thank you to Louise for joining us on this week's podcast. And it's great to see how Accident Express continues to push the boundaries, trying new things and different approaches to the way they do business. So uh, hats off to those guys and we wish them every success uh, in the future. Huge thank you to our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Part Specialists, Indasa, Prasco and the Innovation Group. You've been listening to the ARC360 podcast. Look forward to catching up with you all soon. Take care, everybody.